All right, welcome to class, welcome to Home Builders. Hope you're doing well. Appreciate your flexibility this morning. Okay, let's read our verse together. Today is Acts 4.12. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. God's amazing grace. Romans 5.18 says, Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. This is not teaching universal salvation. Uh, but what we will be talking about today is that it's available to all. And that the sin of one man, one sin, brought condemnation. And yet, Christ's act of righteousness, his holy life, his perfect life, his substitutionary death on the cross, covers us from all sin. All sin. All sin. Not just one sin, but all of them. And it's amazing. The Apostle Paul in this part of Romans 5 now is doing a comparison between Adam and Christ. We compare and contrast things almost daily. What are examples of, of this? What do we compare and contrast? Real quick. Pardon? Sporting teams. Yep, absolutely. What else? Politics. Politics. Every time you go to a restaurant and you eat something that you've had before, you will naturally compare it. This was a better burger. This was a lousy burger. This, these are great fries. These are lousy fries. This is an amazing salad that was not very fresh. This is nice, cold and crisp, right? The salad's cold. I like, how many of you like cold salads? It frustrates me when I get a salad and it's warm. You know, or it's literally room temperature. It's like, blah. That's just me. Okay. Why do we do this? Why do we compare? Because of what? A set standard, maybe in our mind. Somebody else. So somebody said something over here. Ah. Yeah. Because we're always looking for something better. Yeah. Absolutely. We're looking for something better. Because we have expectations. Yeah. There are certain expectations that we have. And we want those expectations to be met. Consider, consider the two major bodies of water in Israel. Okay? How many of you have ever been to Israel? Okay? You've probably been there before. You've seen the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. How many of you, has anybody in there ever swam in the Dead Sea? Anyone drowned in the Dead Sea? No one has ever drowned in the Dead Sea. Okay? You go to the Sea of Galilee and it's full of life. You've got fish that are just amazing. And if you go there and you can have meals there and you can enjoy beautiful fish. You know, there's so much life and vibrancy. And then you go to the Dead Sea and nothing, nothing lives there. Why? Too much salt. That's why no one drowns. No one's ever has drowned in the Dead Sea. Because you float. There's so much salt content in the Dead Sea. 
it, you, you, can't, you can't drown in it unless you just it, are intentional about it. And when I heard you hold somebody down, I guess, they're so different. We compare and contrast these things. And here, you know, even, even though fresh water flows into the Dead Sea, the salt content still overtakes it all. You think about that in contrast to Adam and Jesus. Adam brought death. Adam is our is a, like a representative, if you will. And, and if we were Adam and Eve, we would have done the same thing. Sometimes we go, well, how come what Adam did? I'm to blame. For it. No, it's just that for all have sinned. We'll get into that. You see, when we compare and contrast them, how are they similar? How was Adam and Christ? Similar. Both man. Both man. They were both tempted. They were both tempted. Entered the world sin free initially. They entered into the world sin free. They both represented the first of something. They both represented the first of something. Absolutely. How are they different? One sinned, one didn't. One sinned, one didn't. One brought life to all, one brought death to all. Yep, one brought death to all, one brought life to all. You see, what is Paul doing? What Paul's doing in these verses is clearly communicating that what Jesus did was far greater than what Adam did. Even though in our minds, you know, earlier in my Christian faith, I struggled with this idea. Because I thought to myself, okay, wait, how is Jesus better than Adam? And I'm just going to be honest, I mean, I struggled with that, this concept. Because I thought, Adam, because of Adam, everybody's going to hell. And with Jesus, only those who believe. I would be real, you know, I would love this idea of saying, you know, because of Jesus, everybody gets to go to heaven. And I'll be honest with you, I would love that idea. But if that were true and that were biblical, the world would be like heathen, constantly. Because, I mean, we're going to heaven. We could live any way we want to. It's even like some you know, people that live their life with this religious idea that, well, as long as I do this ritual, I'm going to heaven. So any way I live the rest of my week is perfectly fine. It's all, it's all taken care of. And no, that's, that's not the case. The idea, though, is this, is that because of Adam's sin, he brought death into the world. But I have to ask myself the question, how much sin has Lou Weider committed in my lifetime? How much sin have you committed in your lifetime? Thoughts. Words. Deeds. Motives and the sacrifice of Jesus paid it all. All of it. If we would just believe. Romans 5 12 to 14 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, 
even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. So in other words, when there is, when, when there is no law, okay, there's no right and wrong established there by something written of code like, like we have here. There's no 55 mile an hour signs that we could break. There's no taxes that we can renege on. You know, it, it's, it, there's, there, there's only that which we know because of, they knew because of their relationship with, with God, who walked with them. I mean, how did, for example, Cain and Abel know what kind of offering to, to give? He was talking to them. They knew what to do. And Cain didn't want to give that. He didn't want to give his best. He gave his second best. He's like, no, 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 I'll give you this. I'm not going to give you that. And no, that wasn't justified. But when there's no law, it's like, well, how do you impute sin? When, you, know, you don't get arrested for something that, that doesn't exist in the law. At least you, you would think that that would be the case. For example, if someone walked in here today, and um, how many of you are wearing blue? Okay, and I'll take your word for it. Okay, you're under arrest and you're going to prison for life. Now think about that for a moment. You, your, your immediate response would be, why? Where is it in the code? Well, I don't care. You're, 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 you're going to jail. That's not fair. Well, the issue is, is that Sin is an imputed where there's no law. And yet they understood the law. So imagine if you would, we all knew that blue isn't permitted to be worn. And you wore it anyways to be in defilement. Sorry, Cheryl. <laughs> You're such a rebel. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as though uh, through disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. Adam brought sin and death into the world. Someone read for me Genesis 3, 1-7. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. I'm sorry. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> For God knows that when you eat from, eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. All right. Eve was deceived by Satan. We know that. Genesis 3.13 says, Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. First Timothy 2.14 and Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. What's interesting about this scenario is that Adam and Eve 
are together and the serpent is talking to the woman and she becomes deceived into thinking that well, maybe I've gotten bad information from God. But Adam, who was with her, knew exactly what he was doing. And he was passive and didn't say anything and capitulated and gave into it. That is why he was to blame. At least that's what the scriptures communicate to us. Adam knew what he was doing and still sinned. Death entered the world because of Adam's sin and humanity was condemned. We're all sinners. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. Romans 3.10 says that for all that sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. Death came because of sin and not breaking the written law. Death came into the world because of sin, not because of breaking the law. That's why the law can't save you either. If death came into the world because of sin, not breaking the law, following the law can't save you either. Okay? Ultimately, and by the way, scholars, in case you're wondering as we go through this, scholars say that probably Romans 5 is one of the most difficult chapters in the entire Bible to understand and to be able to grapple with. So if you're sitting there going, I, I, I hear him, but I'm still confused a little bit. A lot of people are. Because this is, these are, this is information that's challenging. It's easy to roll off the tongue and to say, and this is how they communicate it, but do we under, really understand it and apply it? Do we understand what Christ did, what Adam did, and what, what God ultimately is, is planning and is doing and because of the law and because of sin, etc.? We can explain it, but sometimes it's a little difficult. Maybe in heaven, God's going to go, okay, 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 here's what I meant. This is what Paul communicated. This is what this is uh, what I'm trying to teach here, but I think we kind of understand it. Christ brought righteousness and life as a gift to all people. Would you agree with that this morning? Say amen. amen. Okay. Unfortunately, though, throughout history, people have rejected God. Do you agree with that? Do you understand that? Okay. Was there even maybe a time in your own life when you rejected God? Some of you, yes. Some of you, no. Maybe because you were a child and you accepted Christ at an early age. Jesus' one act of righteousness brings justification. What was that one act of righteousness? That brings justification. His death on the cross. Jesus' obedience brings eternal life. If Jesus had not obeyed the Father, if, for example, if Jesus had sinned, could he have been our Savior? Yes or no? No. Yeah. no. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. What was Jesus' one act of righteousness obedience? It was his sinless life and willingness to go to the cross for all of humanity. Someone read for me Philippians 2 8. Someone read John 1 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming around or coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And whoever else was sharing there, Hebrews 4 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to emphasize, empathize 
with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. A very important word here. What is, what is sympathy? What, when, if you have sympathy for somebody, what's sympathy? Yeah, Sandy. No. That's empathy. That's empathy, yeah. No, no worries. Empathy is you you have personally experienced what they're going through and you can relate to them. Sympathy is when you just feel bad for them. You you never went you know, I've never thankfully had certain illnesses. Okay? I can sympathize with people who have had illnesses. I can't empathize with them. But when they go when I but I can I've gone through things. Okay? And everyone, you know, like I've had surgeries. People who have, have ever had surgery, it's like you, you can talk to somebody you've never had surgery before saying, oh, I know what you're going through. No, you don't. You, until you've gone through it, you don't know it. Nevertheless, Jesus was tempted like we are, yet without sin. And I know theologians love to debate that one too. To me, I'm just going to be honest with you. This is Lou Weiner speaking. This is not necessarily the beliefs of Thomas River Baptist Church or When someone tries to explain to me the theology that Jesus, well, he 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 couldn't have sinned. He was God. That's opposed the. And I agree with that. The challenge is, how do you act within that perspective of theology and yet truly are tempted? And that may be something we just don't know, but all I can say is, according to Scripture, Jesus felt the temptation like I do. And shame on me for saying, giving into it at times. Okay? And what I can say is this, now that we have the Holy Spirit, we don't have to sin anymore. If you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The problem is, though, is that we don't always want to walk in the Spirit. We want to walk in the flesh. And God gives you that choice. God gives me that choice. How am I going, what am I going to choose today? Every morning in my devotion and prayer time, I get to this part in my prayer, and I go, Father, give me the wisdom to make wise decisions today. And then I, I always, in my mind, I go, which you have already given to me through your Holy Spirit. So Father, what I'm asking you to do, I'm choosing today to die to myself. Help me to do that. Give me the strength to say no to the flesh and yes to your spirit. That's my prayer almost, it is, it is basically every morning. And so as I pray through that, I'm asking God, uh, I don't have to sin. But there are times when I do, either out of commission because I know what I'm doing, omission because I don't, you know, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not doing something that I shouldn't be doing. Sometimes it's knowingly and sometimes it's unknowingly. And I have to be careful of that. The question is, is do we do that? Is that intentional in our minds? Think and meditate on your sin. And Christ's righteous life and sacrifice on the cross.
what truths and emotions come to mind? I've said this multiple times in here. The difference between Eastern meditation and Christian meditation, the difference between yoga meditation, which is Hindu in, in nature and Buddhist in nature, in particular Hindu, is that they want you to empty your mind. As if emptying your mind would ultimately bring you to the place where you're at peace. Christian meditation is when we fill the mind with scripture. Because it, it's not just eliminating desire. Okay? That's Buddhism. If we, if we just eliminate desire. In Hinduism, the idea is because everything is an illusion. Nothing is real. Everything that we're going through right now is, is an illusion. It's fake. And you can't reach nirvana until you come to the place where you recognize that everything is an illusion. That's why meditation, emptying the mind is so important. Because as long as we're attached to this world and the things of this world, we'll never be able to reach nirvana. The difference, though, is the reality is, is that God gave us desire and the greatest desire is to know him. It's not trying to eliminate desire. It's, it's a desire to know him and be in relationship with him. And so through that desire, through that uh, commitment to following after him, we fill our mind with scripture. And again, I give you these sheets of paper with the lesson on it that I would encourage you to take home. Take some time to meditate on that. If you think and meditate on your own sin and the righteousness of Christ and what he did for us, it will impact our choices. It will impact what we think and what we do. Because we'll recognize that what I did, what Luke did, nailed Jesus to a cross. He had to suffer and die because of Lou. And it motivates me to be holy. In Adam, humanity is condemned, but in Christ, humanity is made righteous. Romans 5, 15 to 18. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses, there it is, and brought justification. By one man, sin entered the world. But through the, the righteousness of one man, all of our sins, the hundreds, the thousands of sins are forgiven that we've ever committed or ever will commit. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness Reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, 
so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all, all people. Humanity is condemned because of sin, and we deserve to be separated from a holy God. Isaiah 5 and 59 2. Someone read that for me. Our sins separated us from God. Our sins have hidden his face from you. So he says it here our prayer. That's the holy God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And yet, because of God's love and grace, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8, and 20 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The law was brought in, verse 20, so that the trespass might increase. So that we understand that what our, how many sins we've actually committed. So the law was given to us not to save us, but to help us recognize how much of a sinner I really am. And how God's amazing grace and love is incredible. The question, though, for this morning is, do you believe God accepts you because of what you do? Or because of what Christ did. See, if, yeah. I think we act as if it depends upon what we do. And we live because of what Christ did. Yeah. yeah. And this is the hardest part that some people struggle with. Is that maybe it's pride. Maybe it's just human nature. But we think that... What we do is ultimately how God views us. Well, if, if we do what we do, we're sinners. There's none righteous, no one. We're all sinners, right? It, it, yes? Yeah. But because of his righteousness, because of what Christ did, now you are righteous. Okay, now we're in chapter five, right? <clears throat> Immediately, someone may sit here and go, "Yeah, but wait a minute now." Okay, I get that, but if if it's not about what I do and it's about what Jesus did, then why does it matter now what I do? If it only matters what Jesus did, and I'm made righteous by what Jesus did. Who cares then now? In fact, if it's grace, how amazing that is. And next week, we're going to get into Romans 6.1. Shall we continue in sin so that grace may increase or abound? Pardon? Yeah. God forbid, right? In other words, what he's saying is this. Paul is trying to say, okay. You are made righteous by Jesus. Your sins are many and are covered by that because of his grace. But don't start getting the idea that it doesn't matter what you do. It, your righteousness is not based on what you do. It's what he did. But that, if you really understand that and, and understand grace and God's love... We should then naturally 
obey him. Because we love him. Not because we have to, but because we want to. And so ultimately then, don't play the mental game of our culture today. It's not about your Facebook likes. In other words, it's not, your identity is not found in you or your husband or your children or your family name or your wealth or your, your, your substances or anything else. It has nothing to do with that. Your identity is found in one person, that's Jesus Christ. As soon as we find our identity in something else, we're on sinking sand. But if we're going to build our house, it better be on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. See, that's solid. Because everything else is, is, a, is a motive. It's based on well, how do you perceive me? How do you perceive my spouse? How do you perceive my child? How do you perceive who we are? And it becomes so volatile in our minds and our thinking because all of a sudden now my value, my worth is found in something that's changing all the time. And I've got to be, you know, I've got to be liked. How many young people today are struggling with the question of why am I still alive? Is living worth living? Why don't I commit suicide? Because their idea is that their identity is found in something that's external. To something that is changing. Their identity is found in how they're perceived by somebody else. And God says, stop. It's madness. If you're waiting for someone to say, hey, you got this. We should. But if you're waiting for someone to go, you're important because. If you're looking to that title on your desk or your bank account. Life becomes miserable. But in Jesus, we can have hope. All believers are in Christ. For just as though through the disobedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Eternal life is a gift. The word grace and gift are used ten different times in this portion of scripture from Matthew 5, 12 to verse 21. Grace, gift. It's something we receive. It's not something earned, but it isn't cheap. It was at a great cost. 1 Corinthians 6, 20. Someone read that, those two passages for me, please. In 1 Corinthians 6, 20 and 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. Handed down 
perishable things like silver and gold. And yet how much do we do to gain silver and gold? But that's not what saves us. It's the precious blood of Christ. A lamb without blemish or defect. The spotless, sinless son of God. One sin condemns humanity, but God's grace covers all sins. The law was given not to save us, but to show us our sin. Sin brings death, but grace brings eternal life through Jesus Christ. The question of the morning then is this. Are you experiencing God's grace today? Or are we living by the pressures of this world to conform? Are we trusting in ourselves? Are we trusting in Him? Is it what you do or what He did? Is our sin greater than His grace? Or is His grace sufficient? Is righteousness something that just doesn't seem attainable? Or is it something that with God, by God's grace and his sanctification through his Holy Spirit, we are renewed every single day? Again, these are, this is not an easy chapter to teach or to follow. But the, where we all have to stand on this issue is this. But the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He came into this world not to condemn you, but that you might be saved. And he loves the world the same way. Whether they're Russian, North Korean, Asian, Hispanic, European, American, it doesn't matter. He loved and loves us all. Jesus died for us all. The question is, will we be saved? Will they trust him? Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, Thank you for your love and grace that truly is amazing. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would use us to fulfill your command of going into all the world and preaching the gospel to every creature. May that not be somebody else's responsibility that we pay through our tithes and offerings, but may we see that as our obligation as well. And not only that, Lord, but God, you desire us to be holy as you are holy. God, your Holy Spirit lives within us. May we walk in your spirit so we, that we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And Father, may we find our identity and value and purpose in you and not in the external things of this world of how people perceive us but ultimately how you perceive us. Thank you, Lord.
unconditional love. What can separate us from the love of God? I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things on earth, nor things in heaven, nor things under the earth, nothing more can ultimately separate, separate us from your love. So God, thank you for that. May we not only know it intellectually, but believe it in our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you all. Have a great week. Thank you. Take care.